This is my year of not sucking or fucking. Prayer warriors pay pigs and my fellow Americans. Let me be clear. Yeah, I've been fucking in morning. I'm very tired of the audacity of these bras. I actually give Bill Clinton enormous credit. I think it's easy to be cynical. But I hope for a future of no more feminism. A future of blatant sexism. And together we can abolish monogamy for the sake of the economy. I think the American people are hungry. This is a certified big soy naturals classic. Hello, hey pigs. Hello, prayer warriors. As you can tell, I have fixed my mic, hopefully, and you can hear my dulcet tones. Um, the time is 7.37 p.m. on the 28th <laughs> of oh, wow. June. Okay. And uh, if, if you can't tell, we're, we're being you held know. hostage, uh, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> we have to say what time it is <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> yeah i'm just giving you need, a timeline do we need of... the address of where we're being held because <laughs> i can give out an address uh i have it written down somewhere oh okay okay yeah so do you the... also have today's newspaper <laughs> yeah i've got probably something close to a newspaper somewhere and the address that we are being held is at 6665 <laughs> rutledge doctor fair drive drive Six 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 five Rutledge Drive, <laughs> Fairfax Station, Virginia. Uh, we are trapped, trapped in the basement. We're trapped. Uh, we can't get out. Yeah. Why are we? Um, why did we tell what time it is? It smells like wood chips down here. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just I don't know. I feel like I feel like it's nice to just know. <laughs> Okay. Um, you know, that's how I'm my giving... dad like calls. He'll call me if and if I don't pick up when he leaves a voicemail, he's like, "It's six o'clock on a Tuesday, the the twentieth." And I'm like, "I like I have a phone that <laughs> tells you all <laughs> yeah, of that. It tells me what time you've called me." But um, phones I'm have always... been able to tell you that for a while, ever since <laughs> the invention of voicemail. <laughs> I know. Yeah, he's he's really stuck in an era that I I don't know if he even remembers. Um, <laughs> But it's it, I'm always thinking like, Jim, is he like being held hostage? Maybe, but we literally are. We're being held we hostage in Fairfax Drive, Virginia. It smells terrible down Go here. To I really that don't like location it. Location and get in there and yeah, get, get, in there. Uh, get us, us get us out. Save um, us, your favorite podcasters, from yeah. this terrible basement. Uh, so, it smells of wood chips. Normally. This series um, is behind a paywall, um, mm-hmm. and it will continue to be like a Patreon exclusive thing for future episodes um, for like we, a couple months yeah, at a time. Like, and then we're, we, we're gonna we release, release them eventually. So I was getting to say, I was getting to saying that. Um, <laughs> so this is actually episode three of my year of not sucking or fucking, and today's episode is called "Folks Need Porsches." <laughs> hoes need abortions um and this is a series that we generally have planned to follow chapter by chapter of uh, intercourse by andrea dworkin but we did promise um like excursions whenever we felt like it and god knows we love to go off topic (laughs) so i love it Right now, uh, we felt like an excursion was pretty necessary. We 
have way too erratic of a podcasting schedule, although we're, we're working on this. We're working. I, we I have work a like calendar now. 70 hours a week. It's very hard to nail me down. I'm busy. Um, but Booked. Yeah, busy. it's it's hard to do. for us to be topical. Um, and I also, like, refuse to keep up with the news. I never want to know what's happening <laughs> online. Like, I this not for me um <laughs> um honestly you'll okay. learn second party world word of mouth through your through like our friends and your friends but you yeah. will not you will not log on <laughs> i just i don't like i feel like people think that i'm like a very online person but i'm really i'm not i do not scroll um i do not want to know what's happening and like whenever people come to me and i'm saying people and not kendall <laughs> Whenever people come to me and they're like, this really annoying thing is happening on TikTok and I'm so mad about it. I'm like, mm, it's kind of your fault like that you even know about it. Uh, I, I admit this freely. Maybe, <laughs> I, maybe you deserve to be mad. It's me posting my L's. Yeah. I'm posting my L's to you directly um, because I think it's like, healthier than going on, on Twitter and posting them publicly, you know? I think that that's that's more important. But you're to keep still it. you still trapped yourself in this prison that you can free yourself from anytime by just deleting the app. <laughs> and how can I delete the app when I need to promote our podcast? Like I don't like your followers. I'm trapped. <laughs> I don't want them here. <laughs> anyway, we. <laughs> We can't. We just mm -hmm. we can't respond to world news here for the most no. part. We we do not have the capability to do that, um, or the interest. Lame, or the interest. Yeah, a lot God. of the time, like the news. I'm not going to talk about that. Um, no, but like Roe versus Wade getting struck down by the haters and losers in the U.S. Supreme Court has been in the front of our minds just like it has been for everyone else the past few days. And so we're breaking tradition here and we're going to issue a Big Soy Naturals response. Yes, we are We are doing the iOS press release. Yeah. We're getting it started. I know that know. everyone was waiting. Like, what yeah. What was Kendall and Cerise going to say? Um, <laughs> Awaiting now, with bated breath. Now you have I mean, it. You're like, what, we, what opinion should I have? What do I think? Don't worry. Like, we listen, got you. Like, like brass tacks. We're not going to get into like what this decision means like wholesale in this episode. There's definitely other people doing that already. And and our next episode coming out so is soon. going to be it's so soon. So, so soon. soon. I'm talking like like two to three days. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's going to be an interview with uh, Cerise's friend who is an incredible abortion organizer in a red state that has basically already made abortion illegal yeah, and it's been like that for four years yeah for four years like I think that's the thing that a lot of people right now um, might not realize if they don't live in a state like that um, is that like this has already been like a huge struggle that a lot of people have been, you know, preparing for for many, many years and have worked like within, um, like they're already deep in it. So um, I'm personally excited for for that episode because I think we need to hear from people who've been doing this work for a while. Um, and uh, like 
hear what they're thinking right now, what ideas they have about what we can do next um, that is separate from electoral politics because they've been doing everything separate from electoral politics uh, for a while. Um, and to get us ready for that, um, there's two essays um, that we were thinking about uh, the day the decision was, was announced, um, especially after seeing some of the ways uh, people responded to it. Um, you know, it's, I think it, it's important that we still uh, go by our formula here on this episode um, and talk about, you know, Dworkin. Um, so that's going to be one of the first sources we use. Yeah, we're, we're using two sources for this episode. Um, the first is by Andrea Dworkin. It's the third chapter of her book, Right Wing Women. Um, so it's not from intercourse. And then the other is a transcription from probably my favorite Fred Hampton speech from 1969 called It's a Class Struggle, God Damn It. Um, and these two like essays, I guess, they both just immediately um, came to mind as soon as this decision was announced and like as soon as I was thinking about what kind of organizing would be necessary in order to change things. Um, and to me, like, I feel like the message of both of these works are really similar. And um, we're definitely going to link sources to both of them if you want to read them yourself. So if anyone does end up reading them after listening, I would really love to know what you think. So you can yes. always send us an email at bigsoypodcast um, at gmail. You can DM us on, on like Instagram, on Twitter, um, if that's more preferable for you but we love an email we love an email we do love um, an email we and love we love a good email i think before we get like deep into the um actual like work that we're going to be talking about i have a, i have a story that i think this might be one of those stories that like i think is funny and then it it's gonna turn out that no one else thinks it's funny and everyone goes <laughs> like oh that's sad um <laughs> But I think I, I just I like felt like I wanted to share it to kind of demonstrate why this is a really important issue that I think we need to be like paying attention to right now. Um, and I don't you know, I don't normally put my business on blast because like I don't think that like just because mm, or that like that you should have to reveal um, traumatic or personal information about yourself in order to mm -hmm. like justify speaking about an issue or having an opinion. Um, and I think it is like a really unfair ask that we make of people. Yeah. But the moral of this story is you got to listen to the to the instructions. You got to read the warning label. <laughs> so, okay. Um, a toxic trait that we both have, not reading the instructions. Yeah, I, I do not listen, <laughs> like never. So mm -hmm. um, I'm going to paint you a picture. I was 22 years old. Um, I'm deep in the throes of my causing problems on purpose disorder. Um, I have just gone through like, I don't know. It was It was such an intense breakup where... If if you also have causing problems on purpose disease, then you'll know what I mean, I guess. I was just I was just going through it. Every day I was like crying and like waking up and then crying. 
um which i don't do i i never cry um i think it's for wimps um and like like my face was so puffy just like from the constant crying and like it was it was terrible um and i uh of course quickly turned to uh many uh unhealthy coping mechanisms (laughs) um and uh what else happened to me during this time it was all in the space of like two weeks like the there was a cafe that i was in where a shooting happened and i had to watch someone die Mm. um and then um like i went through this like really intense moment of like housing instability where i like had nowhere to live for a couple days because i got like kicked out of my house and that's how i ended up moving to seattle I had no idea this was the timeline you were in. Oh, yeah. You've told me about some of this stuff before. That's a chaotic period. It was very chaotic. Um, And so one of my unhealthy coping mechanisms was just, like, having sex with whoever, um, which I don't think is always an unhealthy thing to do, but the way that I was doing it, not so great. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had not been on, like, a consistent like birth control yet and Mm. so in the middle of this I was like hmm maybe (laughs) maybe I should I should do something and so I made an appointment at my local Planned Parenthood who you should not donate to because they have enough money and they put a little IUD in me which is supposed to be like 99.8% effective or something like that but what they did was tell me some instructions about using it mm-hmm. that I zoned out on. Um, and one of them is that it doesn't start working until like two weeks uh, after right. like it's inserted. Like, you, or, or yeah. actually it might, it might even be like a full four weeks. Like you might have to go through a whole like menstrual cycle. Um, and it also doesn't like give you any retroactive <laughs> birth control properties which i thought maybe uh (laughs) it's just like radiating through your body yeah yeah um and kind of like nuclear energy you know you just kind of get trace contact and so then i went back to doing what i was doing which was nothing good um and like i don't know what made me think like hmm maybe something's up because obviously there is no like missed period to to note because when you have an IUD you don't you stop getting like regular periods so not getting one um after it was inserted wasn't like something to draw my attention but like there was just something in my head that was like hmm maybe maybe something's up uh (laughs) so I took the the vibe had shifted no I was in your uterus I assessed my vibe Mm-hmm. And the the vibe was uh, that I was pregnant. I took a pregnancy test and I read the lines wrong. So I had to take another one because I was like, I don't I don't know what this means. Maybe it's a fluke. And then I took a blood test and um, all of them turned up with like, hey, pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I was being so. Um, hmm, what's like a word? That means slut, <laughs> but but doesn't have negative connotations. Worldly, 
yeah, I was being worldly. I was being worldly. Um, I did not know who helped me be responsible for this this pregnancy. Just I knew that it had to be someone that I had sex with in June while mm-hmm. I was twenty two, which did not it did not narrow it down enough. And I was not interested in trying to figure out who because none of these people were people that I had like the kinds of relationships with where I would be like, yeah, I want you in my life for ever. Um, So I was like thinking about it and thinking about it. And I was like, what do I do? Um, (laughs) And I, despite being, I mean, not that 22 is like too young to be a parent, but I was a 22 year old that like was living in someone's house, just like by by the kindness out of their heart. Like I did mm-hmm. not, I did not have like a stable place to live. I did not have a job yet. Um, I had not unpacked my suitcase. <laughs> um, I <laughs> was like sleeping it until one. Um, like I was not living my life um, competently at all. Uh, but me in, in that moment was like, you know what? I think I'm ready for a baby. I'll do it. Um, yeah. Why not? I, I like I, I even called my parents and I was like, hey, like if I had a baby, what if I just gave it to you? Like, would you guys want it? And they were like, no, like <laughs> we're so old. <laughs> I'm surprised that you just called up your parents and told them that, too. I would not my parents would beat my ass they're (laughs) cool you know Mm -hmm. and they were like we would we would like assist but you would need to move back to South Jersey we're not moving to you and Mm -hmm. also you still have to be in charge we're not going to be anyone's parent again we just finished doing that we don't want to do it again we're so old and I was like "Mm, okay all right because I if I was gonna have anyone adopt it would have to be a family member um yeah that like I knew and trusted because like I mean we've seen on the internet the past few days the kinds mm-hmm. of people who are like ugh, interested in adopting babies and I'm not saying that that's everyone but it's just like if you give your kid up Quite for adoption a that's a possibility and that was not really one of the possibilities like, that Michaela, I was your baby um, right yeah who lives it, in like Ohio with her uh you know, if I was going to <laughs> give a child up for adoption, it would need to be to a person that I knew and trusted and like preferably a family member. So mm-hmm. and I didn't have anyone else um, in that category. So I was like, okay, abortion or I keep it. And I was like, you know what, like, I'll keep it. I've got some good baby names planned. Like, I think I could wing this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yes, um, and the baby. Right. <laughs> like an I, improv. I, I literally... I don't know what I thought I was going to do, but I'm going to say in kindness to my um, 22 year old self who was on a bender, I think I would have made it work. Um, Mm. I like, (laughs) I mean, I think of you now and I think of how smart you are. Yeah, you would have a really different life, but I I know how smart you are. But I and think I know I, like I who you are as a person, and I like deep down, and I think you would have definitely made it work. It would have been have rolled with really it. hard. Would have been yeah, extremely difficult, and I think I would probably have suffered quite a bit. 
but I'm gonna say I thought I was gonna make it work, so I would have made it work. But the universe, the vibes, they had different plans. Um, when I got my blood test done and I went back now to the doctor to be like, okay, like, I still have a fucking IUD in me. <laughs> What's, what do we do? They were like, so guess what? Uh, ectopic pregnancy. Yeah. And I was like, hmm, is that good or bad? And they were like, it's not, it's not good. Uh, <laughs> If you don't know, an ectopic pregnancy is a pregnancy that happens outside of your uterus. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it's it is, kind of... And it is completely unviable. Like, yeah, it's there's is, no way to carry an ectopic pregnancy to term. It's, um, like, fatal most of the mm-hmm. time if it's not caught, like, early enough. Um, but there's there's just no way to, like turn uh an ectopic pregnancy into like a live baby that's born just doesn't happen um and I was pretty sad about it because I was like I had some baby names planned right (laughs) I had just started coming up with my my master plan um well can 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 I get a little preview of some of the names or do you not want to put that on the pod no, publicly. no, it's you want okay. to keep those to yourself. I we can you could have them. So I oh, was, okay. I mean, I might use them maybe, but I don't. Okay. I, I don't know. I just didn't know if you I wanted thought... to keep them patented to yourself, and you didn't want any like haters uh, stealing your baby I names. I thought that it would be funny to, which is probably not a good start to mm-hmm. naming a baby. But I thought mm-hmm. it, that it would be funny to go like old old school biblical names and then oh, like fun. insist that everyone call them by like their full name um like like ezekiel but no one calls them zeke you know mm-hmm. or like mordecai <laughs> <laughs> like See, just like I... like long um like when i think like of old timey names when I think of Mordecai, I envision either like kind of a, a gothy black butler type of kid, mm-hmm. or I picture the blue bird from regular show. Uh, <laughs> that's I, I was thinking that by the time my kid was like old enough to know words, that no one would remember the regular show. And then mm-hmm. everyone would just be like, what is this long ass name? Oh, but I will. Um, <laughs> Well, yeah. Okay, so some adults would bully my kids. I can take an adult and can beat you in an arm wrestle easy. Um, so then I was like, okay, like I gotta gotta figure out like how to deal with this whole thing. Um, an obstacle that is something that I should have been thinking about when I thought I was going to be able to um, have a baby was that like I hate making doctor's appointments and I hate showing up to them. It's true. Um, it's terrible. There, it's like it's just because you gotta wait so yeah. long for anything. You gotta wait so long, so, and then they just sit there and they tell you, like, I don't know, you're probably like stressed or something until yeah. you finally convince them that you're not and you are actually ill. Yeah. So I fortunately lived in a state um, that doesn't like completely uh, freely allow abortions. I think there's only a couple states like that. New Jersey is one of them. I think Oregon is another one. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was in Washington and it was caught early enough and it was also an ectopic pregnancy. So I would have been fine no matter what. Um, But I think in Washington, the rule is like only up to like 24 weeks. Um, Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I like I made my appointment 
for getting the whole the whole thing done um and then another vibe shifted and i miscarried (laughs) my ectopic pregnancy (laughs) like the day before my appointment which is it's not uncommon like you can miscarry an ectopic pregnancy um just as easily as you can any others and like Mm-hmm. Most people's first pregnancies end in miscarriage. So right. um would have been a possibility no matter what. But I was like, God, what is this? But I still I still ended up having to get um a DNC done. Um because uh there's still like even when you miscarry, there's still fetal tissue that's like left in your body that has to right. be removed or else you can have an infection. Um and my insurance, uh, which I was lucky enough to have, covers natal care. But once you're not pregnant anymore, like once you miscarry, mm-hmm. it's not natal care. Super so cool. I had to pay for the for the DNC, which I and I would not have had to pay actually for the um, abortion. Um, although Jesus. the D, like a DNC does count like it. it counts as an abortion it's um now also a procedure that's going to be very difficult for some people to get depending on where they live but I was just like like I was I was going through it and then they hit me with the thousand dollar bill uh it was so bad um so anyway the moral of the story is that when you get anything done that's going to Mm -hmm. alter your your bodily functions such as birth control and then they start um giving you instructions about how to to take care of yourself afterwards do not immediately start daydreaming about like what outfit you're gonna wear (laughs) um and not listen to them or else well if it were a few years ago, or else you mm-hmm. might get hit with a thousand dollar bill. If yeah. it's right now, consequences could be much worse. So mm-hmm. um, there is that, and I, I, yeah, I like I think about it sometimes just in terms of like how lucky I was at like every different stage. That like, mm-hmm. I mean, besides the part where I had to pay a lot of money, that I was able to catch an ectopic pregnancy, like. Um, really early early and that I was like able to pursue the healthcare that I needed for it without Mm -hmm. um, too many issues and like those are things that not everyone is going to be able to do right now and it like I mean it it was very apparent to me at 22 that like I had just um you know come very close to like death (laughs) um and that like because of the resources that were available to me that didn't happen. Um, and so it's it's really sad um, to know that right now we're in a place where people are going to die um, yeah. because like you, you do have to, to catch an ectopic pregnancy like um, early enough for it to not start causing problems. And then even when you catch it, you need to make an appointment and um 
you have to you might have to go to a different state to do that yeah. or your doctor might need to like consult with some lawyers first and make sure that it's okay um yeah. for them to like s- set you up for anything like and something and, is in your body that yeah, is it's going a, to kill you it's not like going to wait for all of the appointments to get made on like a timely schedule and that's just mm-hmm. just one example um of problems that are going to come up now and so it's it's something that is really important to me um and I'm glad that we're going to get to talk about it yeah Ugh. aren't you glad I'm here I'm I, so I, great I am you are I know you're, you're you're a wonderful person I'm glad you're here and I'm was glad that a you're funny alive story was that a funny story I think I think there were parts of it that were funny okay um, to me it's a funny so. story I think I think a lot of it is funny, and then the part when I think about you not being here makes me sad. Mm. Um, because you're I'd my be in heaven, like pelting you with tomatoes. <laughs> You'd be bullying me from heaven. <laughs> yeah. You'd be chatting with God, going, "Look at this motherfucker." <laughs> really, we can't even see Kendall's eyelashes because they're blonde. I can't stand you. Um, I'm glad you're here and I'm glad you're alive, but I can't stand you. <laughs> okay, so so obviously we're doing a comparative analysis, right? Kinda of um, you know these two essays. Both of these came to mind um, as like ways to start thinking about how we like build a movement that's actually effective. We had a lot of people talking right now all over the internet about like, here's what you should do to build a movement and here's what you should do to build a movement. And you might be a little, you know, jumbled about what you think is right. Once again, um, you know, wait a couple days. We're going to come out with an episode that's yeah, going to be exactly. from someone who's like if alive you're smart, right now doing it. If yeah. you're smart, you're thinking, no, I'm not going to listen to any of these people. I'm going to wait to see what Cerise and Kendall have to say. <laughs> I'm just saying, wait a couple days, you're going to hear from someone who's currently in it right now. And, um, you know, but we do want to talk about, you know, historical precedent, things that happened in the past. And, you know, both of these uh, essays have a lot to do with, um, you know, uh, the historical uh, timeline of these kind of rulings. Um, uh, We're thinking about like what failures got us here you know, what mistakes we can avoid. Um, And like the first thing that Andrea Dworkin and Fred Hampton both do in their works is remind us that uh, the identities imposed on us in an imperialist, capitalist, white supremacist, patriarchy, you know, are class identities. Um, Like we've been talking about this with all of our friends for like a week. (laughs) You know, this is a class issue. Um, Class is just mean, class just means like a system of uh, ordering a society. You know, your economic class is only one aspect of understanding how imperialist, capitalist, white supremacist patriarchy works. And it's why the label class reductionist that sometimes gets applied um, to people that uh, call themselves leftist but don't read books has always been a misnomer, right? Yeah, we talked um, in episode zero about how woman and you got to imagine I'm using scare quotes around the word woman every time Mm -hmm. I say it um, is a socially constructed class created to delineate and reify a class called men 
um, in order to exploit reproductive labor. This is true for race also um, and sexuality and any other identity lines that oppression happens upon. Um, all those identities are socially constructed. Um, Fred Hampton says in his speech um, to explain this, when they brought slaves over here, it was to take money. So the first idea was that we want to make money. Then the slaves came in in order to make that money. That means that capitalism had to, through historical fact, racism had to come from capitalism. It had to be capitalism first, and then racism was a byproduct of that. In other words, Black is also a socially constructed class that delineates and reifies the class called white. And that's why the definition of white is ever-shifting. It becomes what it needs to be in order to continue exploiting labor. Right. And you know, knowing that is essential for doing any kind of organizing that addresses those elements of class-based oppression. You first have to be in agreement with what the problem is, but next you need to agree on where the problem comes from. Uh, so when we talk about abortion, we need to be clear that restrictions on abortion is patriarchy enforcing itself through the violent delineation of the class that is women. Uh, you know, it's not just like... It's not vibes. It's not yeah, just it's not, vibes. It's not, it's not just vibes. It's not just well, like, and I think you know the way that some people have been talking about it, where it's like, oh, it's like the mean conservatives they went mm -hmm. to do this to us, or they'll just be like, mm, it's like men making rules, but it, it, it's actually like this is an enforcement of a class structure, and so yeah. um, like pointing out targets like that is not exactly helpful. Like we might yeah. be in agreement about what the problem is in this case, like the problem is the restrictions on abortion, but not everyone is in agreement about where this yeah. problem comes from. Um, like when someone on Twitter says like men are doing something, I kind of know what they mean, but I also like understand that like that's the rhetorical device that um, people like those conservatives and like those men that they're talking about are using to say well, like, well, it's not just me, like not me, the individual. And it's like, yes, it isn't you, the individual, it's the class structure that um, is using you to impose that um, on the class of women. Like that's what's that's what's well, and it, and it's also to like reinforce the the boundaries of mm -hmm. what this definition of woman is supposed to mean. Like in the the view of like what benefits patriarchal power, because obviously exactly. there are people who can become pregnant that aren't women. There are women that can't become pregnant either. Um, and when we're talking about like resources to help pregnant people in whatever way, including getting abortions, um, like that language needs to be as inclusive as possible so that everyone who needs those resources knows where they can get it. But when we're talking about like political organizing, which spoiler, not I don't mean voting. I hope um, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, we don't mean voting. But <laughs> I don't know. At the end, I might also be like, guys. This next election is the most important election <laughs> of our entire lifetimes. I don't care yeah. the vote. who you vote for. I just care that you vote. <laughs> Not, that's I my, don't care who you vote that's for. That's my favorite one that people say, I don't care who you vote for. What? It's giving, what? It's giving a bit of like, I don't care if you're black, white, or purple kind of situation. Um, no, like, you I don't know, care who I you honestly, vote for. Honestly, like, I, I do like to make fun of people, but I also want to take them serious. And I think that, like, 
those kind of statements reveal like what their politics are, which is like mm-hmm. primarily what they care about is um, upholding the the process. Like yeah. voting is more important than who you vote for, and they genuinely believe that. And that's mm-hmm. also why it's difficult to um, push these people to do anything useful because sometimes useful things are not aligned with um, what the process um, mm-hmm. has has said is correct, and the process is more important than any any potential like problems that are are coming out of it or solutions that you could find. Um, peaceful, peaceful, peaceful. You know. Only sometimes. <laughs> sometimes the process means like giving uh like arms dealers in Ukraine like mm-hmm. seven billion dollars. But anyway, um we're talking about political organizing. And in political yeah. organizing, it's like necessary to understand politics, which means like we need to say with our words um that we know where this oppression is coming from. The fact is like that people in particular like trans women are left out of this patriarchal definition of woman it's not an accidental consequence like that that's happening right now this is another way that the definition of this class is being enforced in order to like better exploit reproductive labor like this moment um is one of many moments that is intentionally leaving trans women out of the definition of women Mm -hmm. um, and is doing that in order to exploit reproductive labor and in order to like reinforce what like benefits patriarchy. um, And and that is like very strict genders and gender roles. Yeah. Like I I do want to stress like once again, like we said it already kind of, but like it's not us. This isn't us saying that the only people, that only people who are capable of becoming pregnant our are women like we said before like there's people who you know are cis women who cannot become pregnant etc etc this is our white supremacist capitalist patriarchal state saying that um and we can see the depths it's willing to go to to make that case it will you know codify anyone who is you know capable of being pregnant an underclass known as women yeah and you know in like this affects um, cis women who can't become pregnant as well or who can only have like very dangerous pregnancies mm-hmm. where like through this um, enforcement of like the definition of women like they will be forced to carry those pregnancies to term so it's like it is very like strictly saying like the purpose of a woman is to to give birth um, mm-hmm. and so if you are a woman you should be giving birth that's it. Um, and you are a birth like, giver. You are you are here to reproduce for our state. You, as a woman, might personally feel about that, like, or what your like capabilities are for giving birth. Like, it does it does not matter. Um, and that's like kind of the point. The state, like, the state regularly codifies these identity classes into law in order to protect them, as it's doing now. Um, Fred Hampton uses an example um, of the Dred Scott decision. Um, and he says, in, ni- in 1857, Dred Scott was a Negro, a former slave. He was still a slave because we're slaves, who went into court and evidently had some type of misunderstanding about who he was in American society, where he fit in. 
So he went to the Supreme Court to have Judge Taney answer him and try and clear up some mistaken ideas that he had floating around in his old little head. And Judge Taney did just that. Judge Taney explained to him very clearly that, nigger, you're nobody, you're property, you're a slave. That the systems, the legal system, the judicial system, all types of systems that are functioning in America today were set up long before you got here, brother. Because we brought you over to make money to keep what we've got going. These avaricious, greedy businessmen to keep what we've got going, going on. And there's plenty of other examples throughout American history of how the law codifies uh, Black people's status uh, legally as not people, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which does not mean like of course that in the real world like that black people are not people but that like this is the the status that they hold as a class um and it is a status that like the state like regularly um like violently enforces um yeah. and it's once again social yeah. and legal construction right right like, and so this um is exactly what's happening with the class of women right now and has happened in the past too mhm yeah, and like Andrea Jorkin uses this example of marital rape um, to demonstrate how women's class status is codified by the law. And like, keep in mind, like, I don't think a lot of people realize like how recently uh, marital rape uh, was considered I- illegal. Like, it it's been not that long. Like, in the grand scheme of things, thinking about the timeline, maybe you weren't alive. But, you know, if right you before you were in, alive. Like, the 90s. If you were born in the 90s, there's a good chance that you were alive when some states still um, mm-hmm. had laws that, like, excluded married couples from, yeah. like, being held liable for rape. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, some, are, some of our listeners are 18, um, which, hi, they how are, are not, you? They um, are not born in the 90s. They are not okay. born in the 90s. And they're, you know... <laughs> One time hi, I hi tried kiddos. to get How away with saying that I was 16 to get on a train because uh, <laughs> it was free. And I think I could have done it because, like, I don't know. I was, like, 23. I think you could have done it. I, I feel like I look youthful. Mm-hmm. But, the, like, then the, the fair enforcement person is, like, when's your birthday? And I was, like, oh, easy. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you had to do math. I was, I don't know, and I was, like, March 10th, 1999. which like at that time i think would have made me like 22 Uh uh-huh or something Uh, and he was like yeah that's good work but not not quite uh anyway okay so maybe maybe you were not born by the time rape was like made illegal but still but like yeah still it's relevant when dworkin published this book right-wing women it was in 1973, and marital rape was legal in most states in the U.S. I'm gonna I'm gonna pause for you to gasp, little listener, right now. Mm-hmm. Um, pause for surprise. Pause for surprise. Pause for an eyebrow raise, a gasp. Um, as of right now, it's technically illegal in all states, but in many states, like such as California, have different degrees of punishment for marital rape versus rape that occurs outside of marriage, and it treats it like it's a lesser crime. Um, or like Mississippi, uh, which not only has uh, less penalties, but also only counts if the rape is penetrative. Yeah, and so. a lot of states will have laws exempting married couples 
from being criminally liable for rape if mm-hmm. the person that was assaulted was uh like incapacitated mm-hmm. yeah like they were passed out yeah um and like virginia um the law currently is that like it is a uh considered like a le- like a serious thing that you can take to, to court um but that the punishment will most likely be like family counseling um and it is the the law even states like the um penalty for the crime will be like what best fits the family unit so very different from what the punishment might be not that people are often um legally punished for rape but just you know what is in the books um for rape that occurs outside of marriage Mm -hmm. yeah i mean it would be a mistake to say that marital rape is even close to being truly outlawed when you look at all of these like little technicalities and degrees of punishment um and like different types of punishment that they would get like family counseling does that sound good enough you still still have to live with this person that assaulted you Mm -hmm. and with your children like Mm -hmm. like you potentially need to file for a divorce (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah and they who like we're not even getting into like divorce law and what that you know how how like a marital rape comes like gets involved in that like on that Dworkin says uh even when marital rape is illegal the husband has at his disposal the ordinary means of sexual coercion uh including threat of physical violence punitive economic measures sexual or verbal humiliation in private or in public violence against inanimate objects and threats against children In other words, eliminating the legal sanction of rape does not itself eliminate sexual coercion in marriage, but the continued legal sanctioning of rape underlines the coercive character and purpose of marriage. Marriage law is irrefutable proof that women are not equal to men. Yeah, and I think it's important that you brought up divorce, actually, because I think Mm -hmm. that like this in combination with what divorce laws used to be in this country not that long ago, which was that you you needed to have strong evidence um, of of serious wrongdoing um, in order to divorce um, your husband. That's Um, like concrete evidence of a crime, you know? Yeah, that in combination with like, you know, sexual assault being just fully permissible within a marriage paints a really dark picture about like the reality of what marriage um, was like for a lot of people. And then even for people who didn't have to experience that within their own marriage, just knowing that that was allowed, like that was something that it could happen at any time. And if it does, like you have no tools at your disposal to like stop this from happening because you can't Mm -hmm go to court and request a divorce saying that wrongdoing is happening if the wrongdoing is that your husband is assaulting you because that's allowed. Um, You're his property. He is allowed to do with what he's allowed to do with what his property that he so chooses, you know? So some of those things are not like the same as they are today. We have like fortunately made a lot of strides in um, like divorce, like, Divorce is a right yeah. that, like, we won pretty recently um, that you can file for divorce with no fault. Um, and I think that a lot of people take that for granted now, especially yeah. when I hear people who are around our age, maybe a little bit older, will say, um, you know, that, like, 
marriage used to be a bigger deal um back in the day and I, who knows what the day is and let's, they'll be like people people knew <laughs> people knew the value of sticking together i would and like to I speak think, to your grandmother yeah, i would I like to know should, what it was like to get to yeah. get, even get asked out on a date how many like, older women have you heard say like i said no and he just kept pursuing me and bothering me until i said yes Right. Yeah. Well, the, and the divorce rate has actually gone down quite a bit since the 70s and 80s, which makes a lot of sense because, like, that was right when um, there were more women who started to become financially independent because we also have to remember that, like, prior to the 60s and 70s, like, the idea of women being um, financially independent um, from their husbands was pretty, pretty, like, Unheard obscure, of. you know? Yeah. Um, and they had won the right to like no fault divorce. And so then of course, like there were all these divorces happening in the seventies, eighties, nineties. It was not because people lost <laughs> no. lost sight of the value of marriage. Um, and it makes it's sense. It's because they decided that, I, they actually kind of found the value of marriage in terms yeah. of like, mm, this is not a valuable marriage for me. <laughs> and it makes sense that now it's gone down. I think at one point, like this, stat that people are always throwing out is that it's 50 percent. it's not 50 yeah. percent. it's like 25 to 30 and that makes a lot more sense to me because you know even like with uh not being trapped uh like or that you're not like legally trapped in a coercive violent marriage where you have no like financial means of escape like some people just make mistakes they realize they don't like each other and there's yeah. also still people that are in abusive marriages that like um are going to have like a desire to get you out think about like um, all these, but like... it makes sense that the stat has gone down quite a bit and like spiked so much um in like the, the latter half of the 20th century i mean you think about like the the way that like marriage counseling is is like talked about now in terms of like there's a there's a lot of marriage counselor counselors who will tell you like straight off the bat like i'm not gonna tell you to stay when you guys shouldn't stay you know like they're like trained very, oh, I'd be very so clearly. bad at marriage counseling. They'd come yeah. in for one session. And I'd be like, "Yeah, you should, you should call it quits." <laughs> I'd be really bad at it. I'm so, I I'm so bad about like, getting giving my friends advice. They're like, "You You're should married. get out. Like, tell me what to do." And I'm Although, like, "I have high standards. <laughs> I just, I would say, dump him." Like, you know, the now? one time that I came to you for relationship advice, you said, "Don't, don't dump them." You said, I, "Stick together." I, and then I broke up well, with him anyway. I, the thing um, is, is that I wasn't real. Like, I didn't know you I really know. well yet. I and know. I was like, I wasn't really sure like what to say quite yet to like, because I didn't really know the full context. If I knew I that they know. were this upset about, if they were that upset about onions, I would have <laughs> okay. I I anyway, said no. Do you, we're going to, I'm not yeah. going to get, I'm not going to go into that. No, um, we're not. But You can guess. <laughs> okay. I think that despite marital rape being less legal now i think the analysis is still relevant because we can really easily make the connection between the state sanctioning of marital rape to today like right now the state tacitly sanctioning all rape by forcing women to carry um, a pregnancy that came from rape to term many of the states that like have already made abortion illegal or that have made it very close to illegal um, do not have exceptions for someone who becomes pregnant through rape. 
this is also proof of the coercive character and purpose of anti-abortion laws. It is proof that regardless of what elected officials or any other people in power might say, society's opposition to rape is fake because society's commitment to forced sex is is real. It's legal. Um, Anti-abortion laws are just one way that the state is showing us that this is true. Right. Marriage is the legal externalization of the state's views on what a relationship and family should be. Um, That's why before gay marriage was legal, gay couples couldn't visit each other in the hospital or take charge of their partner's funerals. Marriage is uh, where the state defines what is allowed within the relationship and therefore also, as Dworkin says, marriage defines the normal uh, uses to which women should be put and marriage institutionalizes forced intercourse. Um, and it makes I sense. Mean, how often do you hear Republicans say um, that, and, and Obama, we can find mm. a little clip of Obama saying it in 2008 that marriage is between a man and a woman. Yep. That's not just an opinion. Like, that I was, believe that was that was that, a like a legal fact that marriage is between a man that, and a woman. Saying that at the 2008 debate where they decided to allow uh, the public to ask questions via YouTube. Um, <laughs> where these two women I remember these two women got up and they were like would you let us get married and then faced and each like, other and were like to each uh, other my fellow Americans uh no 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 let me be clear the problem with Pete Buttigieg is fuck little homie is, gay ass uh, short and gay <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah I mean like like those um, statements they're not just like opinions they mm-hmm. are like what they, they want to be legal definitions which is like an, an institutional definition, like what they yeah. want the roles of men and women to be ideally in a, in a relationship. And yeah. I say men and women because that is what they wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you think like it's crazy realizing like um, how many kids were like born after um, the year that I remember being like, I think my junior year of high school when gay marriage was legalized, the GSA was partying like no tomorrow Uh, and i just i just got a feeling like in my gut like that this was um just not the end my high school had one straight person in it and they tried to start a gsa and they were the only person that went (laughs) the gays said no alliance with you (laughs) yeah (laughs) no she was a big Glee fan. Um, it's just, it's crazy yeah. thinking about, like, how, once again, just how recent it all is. And, like, just, ugh. I mean, it makes sense that with marriage being the ideal form of a relationship to take on according to these people, like, rape against women has never been taken seriously as a crime in the United States. And I will not hear otherwise Uh, Women are not believed unless you have something to gain by taking down the person she accuses and assaults. Uh, Doesn't matter unless the woman is white uh, and the man is black, you know, Um, because the only state sanctioned relationship uh, for sex is acceptable or as it is now basically acceptable. Like you think about like, you know, once again, our our hatred for the Me Too movement. um, But like you think about like Harvey Weinstein. And, like, how he was, like, totally 
like business wise, he was totally in his flop era. Like yeah, wasn't he making had a movies. Direct to TV movie with Bella Thorne as the star. Yeah, um, it was like, like a a third sequel of Amityville coming out when the Me Too movement began and took him not, down. He was so. not making hits. He was greenlighting terrible productions. And in the end, you know, he was the only one who kind of went to jail. Yeah, and I, I think I would say like it's, it is just like obvious that, um, like people might not voice this out loud, although some people do. Um, like forced sex is okay. Like, yeah, it's something that they are willing to continue allow happening, um, particularly to women, and is not something that people are really that interested in like doing anything about and it makes sense that that's happening in the context of a state that like has said for hundred like hundreds plus years until very recently and even now like meh um, but the ideal relationship can have as much like rape in it as they want (laughs) like um and and no one's gonna say anything about it if that's allowed in the ideal relationship why would it not be allowed um, otherwise? Um, with the exception of like, again, you know, like if the woman is white and the man is black um, yeah. or, or something else that like potentially damages um, a man's future property. Yeah. Um, what would you do this... if your lily white daughter was, It'd be... you know, nah, 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 nah. Yeah, keep, keep going. Finish the <laughs> sentence. Finish the sentence. Was sullied by uh-huh. a black man. By what? There you okay. Go. Okay. <laughs> Um, to bring this back to abortion um, many states in the past have like proposed laws where a married woman would not be allowed to get an abortion without permission from her husband Um, those laws either never came to pass or they were struck down later in court because of the precedent set by Roe v. Wade but the sheer number of these proposals um, make the beliefs of our white supremacist, capitalist, patriarchal state clear. Like a woman should be forced to carry a pregnancy to term, um, even if it is conceived by force in marriage. With that in mind, it makes complete sense that there is no interest now in differentiating a pregnancy conceived consensually or a pregnancy conceived by rape. I... Um, listened to an elected official uh, a couple days ago say like that they were interested um and maybe making some exceptions to allow abortions in the case of rape but like how would we know whether or not the woman was lying what is every wouldn't every woman (laughs) lie if she just wants to get an abortion and it's like that's that makes sense that that is your line of reasoning because you're already prioritizing forcing this person to carry their pregnancy to term why does it matter how they got pregnant which is the state sanctioning sexual assault um it's you know like forced sex right now is like it's an accepted norm um and pregnancy is the result of sex so why wouldn't it be okay it's it's simple (laughs) i mean you even think about just a couple months ago with you know the amber heard johnny depp hearing you think about like how Societally, it was just very much accepted and accepted by a judge that um, she defamed him by saying she was sexually assaulted um, in the sense that, like, you know, there were so many people who listened to her testimony. And even if they didn't claim that she was lying, they claimed that it was it was it sounded like pleasurable, good sex. Um, 
you know, uh, it's 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 an accepted norm, even in like a in the context of like a like a like a cultural testimony, like that forcible, like aggressive sex is is an accepted norm, right? Yeah. Um, so it wouldn't really matter the difference between those if if one gave you a baby and and one didn't, um, you know. Yeah. So Dworkin like reminds us of the class character of woman, which again, imagine, imagine scare quotes. Imagine me like making a face um, where she says, um, the woman has no claim to a respected identity, not predicated on forced intercourse. Since the law sets the standard for the control use of function of purpose of the wife's body and since the law supports the right of a man to use force against his wife in order to have sex women live in a context of forced sex yeah and you can see that with the like you know well we're, we get into that more and more on um my year of not sucking and fucking but you see how a lot of women become compliant to the idea that forced sex is good sex Right. But, and this because this is true no matter even if you have like a personally good relationship to sex even mm-hmm. if you've never had bad sexual yeah, we're not talking about you as the individual like, with men you know? but well actually we we are yeah. like um at like all i think everyone that is like classed as a woman does live in a context of forced sex mm-hmm. and so even if you personally have only had good sex your whole life you've never been coerced um, maybe you don't you don't even ever have sex with men like you still live in this context where the expectation of you is to have sex with men regardless of what you want and like gives um, like like the state is also giving men like the the tacit go ahead to make that happen however they desire mm-hmm. um, and so that like is the context that we live in um, regardless of like your your personal relationship to sex which like could be good or bad. Yeah. And I mean, now we've wrapped our heads around, you know, the concept of our oppression being class-based and we've developed the logical goal of wanting liberation from this oppression. Um, the effectiveness of some tactics hopefully become pretty obvious. Uh, the United States was built from enslaved labor and the genocide of indigenous people. Um, its founding documents declare the supremacy of white men above others and codify their superior status above black slaves, above women, above people from lesser nations multiple times. Um, the U.S. itself is inherently and by design a tool for enforcing, say it with me, imperialist white supremacist capitalist patriarchy and uses the legitimacy of state sanctioned violence to do so. Uh, these oppressive classes are enforced through politics, so therefore we must build political power ourselves in solidarity with each other in order to liberate us from them. Uh, simply voting the old guy out and putting a new old guy in uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, in position of powers in this country, it's not going to do it, okay? Um, I've seen some people tweeting about, uh, you know, if we all had these conclusions are obvious. We're getting a lot of like these conclusions are obvious, my friend. They're obvious. <laughs> we're getting a lot of people on Twitter uh, 
reigniting old 2016 debates and i'm tired of it a lot of mm-hmm. if bernie would have won if hillary would have won we'd all Truly. be at brunch lunch at dinner brunch. dessert right now and uh, uh, <laughs> i just yeah. had enough shut right. up uh, right uh, shut I, okay up. artillery clinton if you don't remember <laughs> her running mate was an anti-choice guy um not that it even matters because you could switch out the individual people with whoever you want um and it like the the structure is the same um like the nature of our oppression um is political it's happening politically so to change it we need to build political power of our own i will let you decide but you have to decide correctly if you think that voting <laughs> is building political power i don't know about you but i'm feeling an urge right now to give nancy pelosi like five dollars mm-hmm. i don't care who you vote for just as long as you vote <laughs> i'll be standing outside all day collecting uh signatures and i've got voter registration documents right here there's no excuse this is the most important election of our lifetimes um <laughs> We have to stand up for our democracy. But yeah, I think that this, maybe the the inability to draw these obvious conclusions, um, you know, it's it's why people who are bereft, drifting alone in the world (laughs) without the ability to do material analysis, they've got barely more ability to understand this world than a newborn does. You know, they're looking at the world and going like, what is this? I don't know. Hope someone will explain it to me. Every day they become born Um, again. Just like, wow. (laughs) They're like, why is this happening? I can't believe this is happening. I'm in shock. I think about the guy I saw at um, a movie theater recently who was fascinated by the touchscreen soda machine. And he was bewildered by how it works. And I just think, wow, you, you you get a guy like that, he wakes up every day and it's like new new average voter. <laughs> new things are happening. Mm-hmm. Like, do you really think that the Supreme Court would just get in there and do bad things? <laughs> no way. They would you the think way, that, the that, that Biden's some, just gonna sit there and the twiddle his thumbs these, and do like, nothing? Democrats get on Twitter and they're like, he lied to me in an interview and he said he wasn't gonna do it. <laughs> Do you think someone you really would do think that? that a politician would just get up on the stand and tell lies? Yeah, <laughs> no way. Um, but you know, we've we have plenty of newborn newborn babies out in the world, no understanding of the immortal science, and they they say things uh, much like babies' first sentences. They don't make a lot of sense. They say stuff like anti-abortion laws are the result of a few backwards men wanting to control women's bodies um and then they like maybe we'll throw out a list of a couple women for us to vote into power <laughs> instead um and i just can't help but i, I don't know like i feel like when i think about voting i'm sorry <laughs> i feel like you, maybe we should try that a few more times we have voted in some women before mm-hmm. we could vote we could vote some more though see if that does anything um but unfortunately this analysis uh lacks some 
understanding of reality because while men might be the ones who benefit the most from anti-abortion laws men are not the only people who support anti-abortion laws there are in fact many women in power who worked hard to make this happen um and many women that support like this effort to make things happen there are other women in power and men too who might voice support for abortion rights will ask you to vote them in saying that they support these things, but then um, knowingly compromise these rights over and over in order to make other political gains. And these gains are typically in service of capitalism and imperialism, which makes sense because we keep saying it, we live in a (laughs) imperialist, capitalist, white supremacist, patriarchal state. So... Um, makes sense that they're, you know, perhaps compromising things that don't benefit patriarchy and uh, instead, you know, like choose to let go of the whole abortion thing every once in a while in order to get things that benefit capitalism and imperialism. Like Nancy Pelosi just campaigned a couple weeks ago for an anti-choice Democrat um, and she just let Biden like give another billion dollars to do fuck all money laundering in Ukraine. (laughs) And like, in case you think that this is new, uh, noted male ally Obama, (laughs) who ran on codifying Roe v. Wade, like into law, had the opportunity to do that with his supermajority. He used his supermajority to bail out the banks. Um, So there are, were men and women in power who supported abortion rights had the opportunity to do something about it did not do it so yeah. let's 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 think let's think about this whole voting thing a little bit more yeah let's and let's also think about the people who you know they're people who think they want to align with us who might be in the streets right now demanding abortion rights be restored Um, But they can only let their imagination stretch so far as electing more Democrats so they can go to brunch, lunch, dinner, dessert. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe they're even waxing poetic about, once again, what could be different if Bernie was president. If Bernie were here, (laughs) I'd be- He is here. I mean, he's not president, but he's here. (laughs) He's out here. He's out here, people. Um, because it, it it's not just liberals who like balk at building any kind of power that might threaten the date the state. It's definitely your little leftists too. Your little leftist Imagine Twitch us streamers, leftists, yeah, with with scare quotes, big scare leftists. quotes, and we're frowning and we're, we're frowning, we're, we're scowling, like, we're groaning, putting our thumbs down, <laughs> like, two thumbs down, zero like a, was stars. It, was it? Like a Roman in the Colosseum, like <laughs> condemning them to death. That's that's how I feel about these little many. gladiators fighting over. Yeah. Say, take your Twitch streamer and throw him to the lions. <laughs> that the bitch your stream. <laughs> like, think about like all your self-declared socialists who have a conniption when you say and say you've gone too far when you suggest Ooh. like defunding the police. Not even abolishing, your, but defunding. Like, is that your socialist voice? Hey there, listen, buddy. Bad move, brotherino. Mm-hmm. If we abolish the police, then who will? Uh, uh, 
Well, Where buckle the, the fuck do? up, buckaroo, because you're Who you're getting into it. stop me when I'm driving drunk if we <laughs> abolish the police? There will be nothing to stop me. We're <laughs> 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 like, like they, they get so like mad at when you just suggest like defunding the police, not even like abolishing, like defunding the police. Which, if you're me or if you're Cerise or if you're anyone with a backbone, is actually just step one. Is yeah, just taking the away their is, money. Um, that's the floor. Yeah. That's the floor. <laughs> Below the floor. It's like the center uh-huh. of the earth. Yeah. Um, Fred Hampton has the best analysis about why this happens, like, even among people who claim that they are aligned with you politically and have the same goals as you. He says, we're talking about destroying the system, and they have hang-ups doing that because they're constantly buying property within the system. It's hard to turn up on Tuesday what you bought last Monday. Or, sorry, it's hard to burn up on Tuesday. You could be turning up also what you bought last Monday because they're a bunch of unrepentant capitalists. They'll never repent. And they try to know, uh, and like they, we try to make excuses for them. Maybe they have to go through stages, Fred. No, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think that it's like this speech is really good. I would really recommend reading it. But I think that this is like a super, super important analysis because people really often get caught up in making excuses for people that might call themselves liberals or leftists or socialists or whatever no matter how many times they need steps they need gentle handling like a newborn hamster or something Mm -hmm. and like no matter how many times we will find them on the same side of issues as power like no matter how many times we find them siding with power because they say that they care about the same things that we do um we're like well you know maybe we just just gotta try a little bit harder maybe maybe they'll get there eventually but uh that is not going to be the case if they have this investment in the system like fred talks about i think that the uh line about like they're not going to want to destroy the system if they're constantly buying property in the system makes a ton of sense um organizing like it does involve bringing more people to your position yeah. um but and even you like you recognize... know aligning yourself with people that you don't like get along with um not in the sense that like you don't get along with them on fundamental issues but more just like you don't vibe you don't click um <laughs> like they're just they're they're people that like you don't um you wouldn't like be friends with necessarily you know what i mean i don't think that you need to be friends with everyone but i do think that you need to have like um a pretty deep level of trust for like building power Mm -hmm. um within organizing because you're trusting people with like a lot of but i think a lot of people don't understand the difference between like trust and friendship you know what i mean sure um i think yeah but I, i think like yeah like even if you have to like it's it's fine. It's important to bring people who are away from your position to the position that you are in. But in order to do that, you need to recognize how far away from your position they actually are. And so pay attention when people like declare themselves allies, but like you see how much they have to lose from destroying the system and how often they align themselves with power and then act accordingly. I am a big fan of bullying. Um, bullying. Works. I think. 
I know I've watched it work in my life so many times, like the bullied liberal oh, to yeah. like militant Marxist Leninist pipeline is is one that I have pushed oh, someone through I, multiple I can, times. I can I can attest to this, like not in the sense that like I was like uh like conservative or really all that liberal beforehand, but I was definitely more on like I think the DSA side before and I'm fully ascribed to the idea of getting getting your ass kicked once in a while. Um I just good think ass it's kicking. good to tell it's good to tell people like you're dumb and you're wrong and here's why. Like don't just leave them with you're dumb and you're wrong. Like here's yeah. why. Here's how you could learn better. Don't fucking talk to me. Don't show <laughs> up until you do. You're wasting my time. You're making things worse mm-hmm. by being dumb be quiet until you get smarter. And I I just, I've found bullying to be a very effective tactic. So if you, if you think people still need to go through some stages, you can push them through them. Yeah. Hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shove, maybe. Um, yeah. I, ugh. <laughs> it just, it, it, it does drive me crazy how many people don't understand the, the, the transformative power of getting your ass kicked once in a while. Um, Fred Hampton goes on to say um, about the people who have invested in the system, even while they are oppressed by it. We call the oppressed, uh, we call the oppressed apologists because after something happened, uh, all they can do is apologize for it. Look in the, (laughs) (laughs) the sorries. Mm -hmm. Sawi. Look in the papers. Don't you know that if the news media, the established press, has moved before this, uh, that they could have stopped the rising tide of fascism years ago? But they endorsed, they joined, they supported what fascists were doing at the time. And now it's being heaped down upon all of the people. And a lot of people think now that their hands are getting dirty. We call them ideological servants of United States fascism. And that's what they are because they serve fascism by doing nothing about it while the law goes over and they apologize for it and they get apologetic. Um, and you there can- some people who come to mind, <laughs> some certain, certain beta, beta females, beta females, um, uh, might, might hold office, but I'm sure there are people coming to mind for you too. Mm-hmm. And I think on like, on that note, like untangling patriarchy is a lot more complicated than just separating men and women and then calling out the men. Ugh, the, um, the things that people are saying on Twitter right now, let's just sterilize see, the men. Get get off the apps. Well, yeah, if, okay, if someone is saying sterilize men, call them a eugenicist. Yeah. Because we've done that in Vocally, the United States already now. many times. We've done it many, many times. Look into the early history of Planned Parenthood. Or just uh, um, the early history of gay men in society and anti-sodomy laws. Uh, yeah. What um, happened to the guy who invented the internet? <laughs> Quickly. Um, uh-huh. So women, like, they can absolutely be agents of patriarchy. And we're going to get to the women next. Don't worry. We, lo- we <laughs> love to be in women's business. But it's because we care. Um, like... One thing that all enforcers of patriarchy, men, women, 
other genders. The folks are out here too enforcing patriarchy. Um, they all have these hangups that Fred Hampton described. Like they have an investment in the system continuing as it is. And so they can't bring themselves to do any work to burn it down. Abortion rights activism has always been led and majority run by women and other people that can become pregnant. And this isn't like unlike completely unlike how disabled people lead disability advocacy or how like black people lead anti-racist movements if you're the person that is um, affected by a problem or if you're in a group that's affected by a problem like it makes sense that you would be the first to see it and the first to want to do something about it and that's why fred hampton says in this speech that like the black liberation struggle needs to be the vanguard for all liberation struggles in the United States. Yeah, and I think a lot of people aren't quite understanding. Like, I think I've seen a lot of people saying something very similar. Um, and I think a lot of people don't quite understand the connection at all. But this is the connection. Like, here you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Congrats, you found it. Um, and it's in well, our... Then- in our podcast um that's why we said you have to wait yeah. for Cerise and Kendall to come out with a take and then you can steal our take yeah. and incorporate it into your own personality please and feel your friends free with it. to regurgitate it at the parties at the functions um and hopefully within uh your local organizing efforts um, just kidding you should read the things that you we should, link and you then actually them, develop please. your own opinions i don't really like it when people regurgitate podcasts mm-hmm. i i don't think i want to be encouraging people no. to do that it's very annoying to witness it in the wild no no uh please actually read our work cited i know a lot of you do actually a lot of you've been saying that so thanks um appreciate it um pregnancy is something that inherently takes two people to make so we gotta we gotta talk about that um yeah, and I think that's what makes it different. Yeah. Like, this is what makes it different from, like, Black people leading, like, the, like, anti-racism struggle mm-hmm. or disabled people, like, leading um, the, the like, disability, like, movement because it doesn't make sense, actually, that only the people that can become pregnant are the ones that, like, are doing the majority of the work it's, in the, like, movement for yeah. abortion rights. It's, it's, you know, in the opposite direction, you see a lot of people congratulate the father for um, getting his wife pregnant. So maybe we should also hold him responsible for the pregnancy. Um, you know, it takes two people, and yet you're going to see a lot of men be outspoken about abortion rights. Um, it's usually that they're taking the other side, right? While abortion rights are ostensibly a left issue uh women and other people who can become pregnant have uh left uh way too lonely on that side of the struggle um this is not saying there's no men who take part like obviously we're not you know we're not saying there's no men but it's just saying there's there's definitely not enough um there's a very small amount uh where are they men come through men men we're looking for you. Looking Send for us a you. picture of yourself in a corduroy <laughs> suit. I mean, get your get your ass over to like. <laughs> yeah, it is. I think it is. I don't know. It is what, whoever's doing it. It is become important. an abortion doula. <laughs> it is important right now. Um, I think to you know, I'm not saying men lead the way <laughs> at all. I'm saying no, just show up. Show up. <laughs> say say hello and show up. Um, mm-hmm. especially like, I think you should, you like, I don't want to put a lot of the labor on you 
um dear listener uh oh (laughs) but like um i do think that it is important to um i think hold the men in your life like take them to task once again we said bullying works uh kick their ass a little bit and tell them to get out of the house and stop tweeting and put those in the drafts Uh stop tweeting and you know get your car and go, you know, sign up to drive someone to their abortion appointments. You know, do something useful. Um, you know, kick the men in your life's ass because tell them that they're responsible for this too. It takes two people to make a pregnancy happen. So, what? you know, there's another person responsible for this. I'm not immaculately um, conceiving here. Maybe that's what happened to me. <laughs> I don't know, you know, because I never, I never did like a paternity test. So well, entirely yeah, possible. You, we don't know. Um, Andrea Dworkin's history <gasps> of the sexual revolution gives some insight into why there aren't, there are not enough men taking part of this. Uh, empirically speaking, uh, sexual liberation was practiced by women on a wide scale in the '60s, and it did not work. That is, it did not free women. Its purpose, it turned out, was to free men to use women without bourgeois constraints. And in that, it was successful. Really harsh. True. Yeah. <laughs> As always, well, very cutting. The, the sexual revolution took place um, mostly in the 60s and then um, like the 70s as well, but that was when it was starting to fall off. And the women who were in this movement um, in the 60s and 70s. They they believed in the ideals of the sexual revolution, like what it was promising. And they believed in that because they saw the constraints that women of previous generations were put under through marriage and the nuclear family unit, like we were just talking about. And they wanted freedom to be their own people. They wanted freedom from the expectation that all they were good for was being wives and mothers. Um, they wanted the freedom to have desires without being forced into constraints and the freedom to express those desires the same way that men were able to. But unfortunately, the sexual revolution was made up of all kinds of people, uh, and many of them were people that did not have an analysis of power. Um, Like, if you listen to speeches and different like first person accounts of the way that people who were in this movement talked about the sexual revolution at the time um you'll hear a lot of them talk about rules but you won't really hear many of them talk about where those rules come from so like the women recognized the constraints that marriage put on their mothers but they Um, had hoped that like having sex and relationships outside of marriage was like a way to liberate themselves from that and Dworkin says on that like sexual liberation ideology whether pop or traditionally leftist intellectual did not criticize analyze or repudiate forced sex nor did it demand an end to the sexual and social subordination of women to men neither reality was recognized instead it posited that freedom for women existed in being fucked more often by more men, a sort of lateral nobility in the same inferior sphere. And I think I would also say the sexual revolution, like in its most mainstream form, 
was extremely heterosexual Ooh, and not yeah. very tolerant um, of like non-heterosexual relationships and i think that that gives you a clue into like what the sexual revolution was actually about where like there are a lot of um first person accounts of like lesbians you know who like left left their lives to go be a part of like the sexual revolution whatever they were doing like hanging out on a farm or something and then like kind of being ostracized if they didn't allow men as like voyeurs into their like mm-hmm. lesbian relationship and like similarly you know like gay men were like kind of treated like freaks mm-hmm. um like it might have been something okay to experiment with once in a while ideally with a woman also being there so it's not yeah. that gay but to to have like a genuine relationship um no, was promise, was not bro. something that was like accepted um, by like many people who claim to be a part of like what they were calling a revolution. Yeah, I mean, you and even... so I think that 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 really does like tell you that while maybe there was some good intentions about like putting away these constraints of of the past, um, their understanding of like where these constraints came from was just not it was not based in material reality at all right like Dworkin said like a lateral mobility it's it's entirely just to the side rather than uh working your way up the ladder here and seeing who's really in control um you even read some of like their like old like manifestos on the sexual revolution and all of like their hypotheticals have to do with heterosexual sex like just completely um it's about men achieving like an access to the feminine divine or whatever the fuck. Um, <laughs> me. <laughs> um, so like you're like speaking of like just uh, the sexual revolution in the sixties, um, and you think about like the heterosexual sex that was happening. Uh, birth control was really really difficult to get in the sixties. Um, and I actually um, I don't want to say their name because I don't really know if they'd they'd be cool with that. Uh, but I do know um, that uh, a family friend of mine used to uh, be like a birth control dealer um, in that era. Um, so it was pretty wild uh, to, yeah. you know, it was, a, it was a pretty wild time. Like birth control, think it, of your you weed man. Like think of condoms. You could buy condoms sometimes, yeah. but they could not be advertised as contraceptives. No. They just had to be like, who knows? what this is for this is this is a glove Um, and and also only yeah and it was also not something that your average person could just like walk into like your typical like convenience store and buy Mm -hmm. and those were the the most accessible like contraceptives and they were they were not that accessible yeah like think about like your weed man that you text every so often um, think about getting, you know, texting the birth control uh, mm-hmm. dealer for uh, condoms. Uh, that's how it was. It wasn't until 1965 when uh, the U.S. Supreme Court case Griswold versus Connecticut uh, struck down the last of the Comstock laws, uh, which were laws from the late 1800s that first made it illegal for the U.S. Postal Service to carry anything that was, quote unquote, obscene, including birth control. Uh, abortificants and um also like letters that were too sexy which is just funny no, to really think about. like any anything that like was considered like 
obs- obscenity, like having to do the postal service was some, not allowed with knowing someone biblically in any way. Yeah, uh, which is like when you think about the way that like anything got done in the in the eighteen hundreds, like saying that the U.S. Postal Service wasn't allowed to transport it is effectively making those things illegal. Yeah. Period. Yeah. No. 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 Sexy love letters. Uh. No birth control. Mm-hmm. Uh, no abortifacants uh crazy you know like going to the level of like can't even share my nudes with <laughs> i can't even send my nudes in the letter to you my cannot send your nudes in the mail to to my dearest you know walter or whatever mm-hmm. um and then like the comstock laws were expanded uh to criminalize any kind of distribution of any obscene material so you think like dirty magazines yeah. like et cetera, et cetera. In case you thought that there was a workaround from the whole U.S. Postal yeah. Service thing, they thought of that. Yeah, no loopholes. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> no holes and no loopholes. Yeah, no distributing it. And so birth control um, was regulated under this because it facilitated obscene behavior. Um, <laughs> uh, according to most of the languages of the states that had laws regulating birth control in this way, a lot of the language that you'll see is that like it's like, compromising your moral character or something to like um facilitate like the use of birth control and so therefore it would be illegal but just like this understanding that um it would lead to promiscuity or whatever and like of course all of that is very bad um only in new york or sorry only in connecticut was it fully illegal to like finally good for something no 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 (laughs) illegal illegal um yeah connecticut it was illegal to use contraceptives period most of the other states would say that it's illegal to distribute them um but that it was not illegal to like possess or use i'm never gonna beat the connecticut allegations i swear right connecticut was like no you can't use them period like you better get pregnant and have a baby or else fuck you um but like new york it was illegal to advertise that you had them and it was illegal to distribute them. And then even this 1965 case, it didn't make contraceptives fully legal and accessible. It only made them legal for married people. So cool. even then you still had to go to a doctor and get permission from your husband um, and say, husband says, I don't have to get pregnant anymore. And then the doctor is like, good for you. And then then you get a little pill. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you weren't married, then you had to wait until another Supreme Court case in 1973, um, Eisenstadt versus Baird, uh, before those rights were extended to everyone else. And so you can imagine that the inaccessibility of contraceptives um, in the 1960s, combined with the ideals of the sexual revolution, created some complications. Yeah. Um, like Dworkin explains about these complications uh, in the garden of earthly delights known as the 60s <laughs> counterculture. She's so fun. She's so fun. Imagine that with like a the biggest sarcastic tone you've ever heard. Little little tone indicator mm-hmm. for you. Uh, pregnancy did intrude almost always rudely, and even then it was, uh, and even then, 
and there it was uh, one of the most real obstacles to female fucking on male demand. Uh, pregnancy was a material reality, and it could not be argued away. It was uh, the break that pregnancy put on fucking that made abortion a high-priority political issue for men in the 1960s, not only for, for young men, but also for older leftist... I'm going to imagine she's putting scare quotes around leftist, too. <laughs> for the older leftist men who were skimming sex off the top of the counterculture. <laughs> like uh-huh. And even more for traditional men who dipped into the pool of hippie girls every now and then. The decriminalization of abortion... Uh, for that was the political goal, was seen as the final uh, Philip. Uh, It would make women absolutely accessible, absolutely free. Uh, The sexual revolution, in order to work, required that abortion be available to women on demand. Um, So once again, it became a concern for men to need abortion in order to... um, Because, like, like she says, like, pregnancy is a very material reality it's just like can't be wished away it isn't just like a woman's like feelings uh or vibes it's like a baby and it's coming and it's here um <laughs> or death or death it's death that's coming or it's death um uh-huh. either death of the person or for the men uh death of the life that they wanted you know um yeah death of their freewheeling erection erection filled life Um. Uh okay i just have to say i gotta say so i was doing a little bit of research to make sure that i knew my shit about contraceptives before we started recording um because i knew most of this already like i've read right-wing women a few times i revisit this fred hampton essay or like speech at least once every few months um But I wanted to make sure I knew what I was talking about. And so I was reading up on the history of contraceptives and I read a little bit about the history of the condom. And I came across a very funny fact, which is that Sigmund Freud, the father of psychology, was extremely opposed to all contraceptives. And in particular, he had... Uh, an, an extreme dislike for the condom did not want it to exist because it inhibited sexual feeling like oh my god my guy. this condom is keeping me from feeling the puss and content oh <laughs> all right but i think that maybe hopefully we can see that you know that the desire that men had to um organize for making abortion not legal but decriminalized which is interesting because in the 1960s decriminalizing it would mean that still lots of people would probably die from getting abortions because they would not be like through um acceptable like you know institutional channels but anyway we can see that there might be a problem built in with their desire to to make it uh like accessible and yeah yeah, your motivation is gonna inform your uh your organizing skills you know yeah many early advocates for accessible contraceptives and abortion rights men and women they saw the reason for organizing around this was freedom to keep sucking and fucking um and that was why they were advocating for these things it was not 
uh, you know, it was it was for them to not have the obstacle of pregnancy or the responsibility of the baby in the way of their ultimate goal of continued sucking and fucking. Um, and the real reason that they should have been um, advocating for abortion rights is that everyone deserves to have bodily autonomy and that women did not. Um and that access to abortion and birth control is one of the ways that we can give it to them. Um, uh, eventually, too many people were done dirty by the sexual revolution one way or another. It started to fall apart towards the end. Um, and by the 70s, a lot of women that were a part of it and women that witnessed it began to consider more seriously their class status as women. Um, Dworkin describes the shift like this. From their own experience, especially being coerced and in being exchanged, the women found a first premise for their political movement. That freedom for a woman was predicated on and could not exist without her own absolute control of her own body, insects, and reproduction. This included not only the right to terminate a pregnancy, but also the right not to have sex, to say no, to not be fucked. Um, legalized abortion did not make these women more available for sex. On the contrary, the women's movement was growing in size and importance, and male sexual privilege was being challenged with more intensity, more commitment, more ambition. The leftist men turned from political activism without the easy lay, they were not prepared to engage in radical politics. Think about all the guys you know that just joined the DSA to meet hot girls that make like witchy like crafts we that a, they sell on Etsy. We um, have a mutual that shall remain uh, nameless that went to an abortion uh, rally recently that got hit on at the abortion oh, yeah. rally. Absolutely. Um, it's happening already. It's happening yeah. right now. Like, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think about, you know, often when I talk to men about Andrew Dworkin, when I like um, tell them that they should read intercourse, that so often like the reaction that I get when I um, share with them like what the book is about is like anger because mm -hmm. it like makes them imagine a possible like they immediately think of themselves and they think of, of themselves like being told no um <laughs> like being rejected like sexually um and i i think that it makes sense that like if the abortion rights movement then started like connecting itself to like well if we can say no to being pregnant we should maybe also be allowed to say no to being shared by seven different leftist guys, which like, can yeah. you imagine? Can you Ugh. imagine? I would Ugh. die on day one. Um, but it makes sense you know, that there. people initially saw this as like a way of freedom because it's like my my mother would have never gotten to do anything like this. Yeah. And that's true. <laughs> and my father told me to stay home yeah. and get married. So it's like you're, you're breaking the rules. And da -da. But like in some ways they were still following the rules of like being available to uh, and under the control of men. It was just in a different kind of like patriarchal structure. Um, and so it was in the 1970s that abortion rights became seen as strictly a women's issue. 
um, rather than like an autonomy issue. It's something that belonged only in the realm of feminists and not something for everyone of all genders to work towards establishing and protecting because it should be a goal for everyone to have body autonomy. Um, And since then, like even as abortion rights have gradually been stripped, it is something that leftist men is like they mainly paid lift service to it. You only see a few men in radical circles like actually practicing these beliefs by doing things like signing up to escort pregnant people to get abortions, volunteering as abortion doulas, like helping run workshops, fundraising for or even abortion like you can funds. See those kinds of like some of them even like sign up to like uh, stand as like a wall in between. Um, like you know pro-life protesters and the abortion clinic like proper um because as we know historically um quite a few abortion clinics and uh you know sexual health clinics have been um threatened physically um with violence from these pro-life protesters so they're putting you know at least in theory and in practice their bodies on the line yeah Um, it's a it's a left issue but it has not been treated as a left priority in a really long time even though like the writing has been on the wall about what is going to happen to abortion rights in the united states like we've seen this coming for years and years but still most of the people that have been doing the work to protect those rights are just the people that can get pregnant um and that's not right no not at all uh dworkin sums up the the male leftist uh, viewpoint like this um the male left has abandoned abortion rights for genuinely awful reasons the boys were not getting laid (laughs) the boys (laughs) the boys saturdays are for the boys and they are not getting laid on that saturday Mm -hmm. nor any day uh there was a bitterness and anger against feminists for ending a movement by parentheses by withdrawing from it um that was both power and sex for men uh there was also the familiar callous indifference the of the sexual exploiter if he couldn't screw her she wasn't real um god she's such a good writer uh Mm -hmm. (laughs) and like it it's true like if like you can think about like all the times I know, like, as personally as someone who's, like, married and is, like, seen as not sexually available, there's quite a few times where I'm just not seen as real um, from other men. And if I can't be screwed, I can't be uh, a real person who can hold a conversation, who can be uh, a human person who needs rights. Um, Jesse Jackson, who marched with Martin Luther King, helped organize the Poor People's Crusade and was the first black man to run for president. He also staunchly opposed abortion from his position on the left. He even campaigned for legislation after Roe versus Wade uh, to restrict access to abortion. And many of his fellow radical men uh, campaigned with him. Yeah. So I did a little research on this on this fellow, Jesse Jackson. I mean, I know who he is, but I was. um... Yeah. Ever heard of him? (laughs) Like I could name five songs, um, but I was I was interested in learning more about like how he came to this position as mm-hmm. a you know like leftist as a radical of of uh, like wanting to restrict people's uh, bodily autonomy, and I found this out. Um, Jesse Jackson was born to a sixteen year old high school student and her thirty three year old married neighbor. <sighs> 
And the reason oh. that he opposed abortion was that, and he like has said this out loud a few times, that he thinks that if his mother had a choice when she was pregnant as a teenager, she might have aborted him. And I bring this up because I think we see this logic a lot in a lot of like anti-abortion arguments. Um, although it's one that's never really made any sense to me. Um, like mm-hmm. as a as a thought experiment when someone is like, well, would you want your mother to abort you? And I'm like, well, if you want me to like picture my mom like young and pregnant and like afraid and, and like scared, like yeah. you're not like you're not giving me an image that like is giving me sympathy for your position. Like, yeah, like I wouldn't exist. I... And I don't like the idea of my mom being like in a traumatic place in her life. But yeah, I, I don't <laughs> like that. I also just like, even if I was like, it's a bad you know, thought fuck experiment. my mom, if I was like, fuck my mom, I'm like, I don't think those are circumstances into which I want to be born, um, where I am not wanted, where I am like, um, making my mother fear for her own life. Yeah, um, I don't and like that. I don't Dworkin, like the idea of being a child that comes from those circumstances. Yeah, Dworkin actually has a good explanation of why this happens. Um, she says, to many men, each aborted pregnancy is the killing of a son, and he is the son killed. His mother would have killed him if she had the choice. These men have a peculiar, <laughs> retroactive, and abstract sense of murder. If she had a choice, I would not have been born, which is murder. The male ego, which refuses to believe in its own death, now pushes backwards before birth. I was once a fertilized egg. Therefore, to abort a fertilized egg is to kill me. The woman's (laughs) responsibility to the fertilized egg is imaginatively and with great conviction construed to be her relation to the adult male. At the very least, she must not murder him, nor should she outrage his existence by an assertion of her separateness from him, her distinctness, her importance as a person independent from him. The adult male's identification with a fertilized egg as being fully himself can be conceptualized in terms of power, his rightful power over an impersonal female. Men think of pregnancy and abortion primarily in terms of themselves, including what happened or might have happened to them back in the womb as one cell, they were themselves, which I thought was so good because, you know, I I do hear a version of this argument from women, but it, but it's usually like, what if I aborted my son? Wouldn't it yeah. be so sad if I aborted my son? And it's like, babe, who was going to ask you to do that? This is the whole point is that we get a choice. They're asking like, you. They're like, look at my son. Do you want me to abort him? <laughs> and it's like, did, did you want to? Yeah, or it's, like, it's and if somebody like, wanted you to and it wasn't you, who was it? Right. Like, it's it's almost like when, when women make that argument, they're asking us to not remind them that they had choices mm-hmm. so that they can like go ahead and like resign themselves to this to choice that they mom. made that maybe they, <laughs> they don't actually feel that good about um to but a often hashtag boy mom. Yeah, men great. men are like damn like what if i was aborted like i used to be a baby i, I was an egg once um and it's it's funny because i i feel like i don't what came first ever, my mother or the egg me like, i came first <laughs> when women are pregnant or when other people are pregnant I I never hear them say, damn, I used to be an egg. <laughs> like, 
if I get rid of this, this is basically like it's kind of like me killing myself. Like they don't identify like with the egg. They they like if they're thinking of it in terms of a person, they're thinking of it in terms of like a future child to care for, yeah. but not like this is a version. This is basically me. Um, yeah. So I just I found that explanation to to make a lot of sense, and I also yeah. found it very funny. And I think that Jesse Jackson should reconsider um, <laughs> using that argument and should stop saying out loud that he thinks that his mom would have aborted him. I'm sure his yeah. mom does not appreciate him saying that. I'm sure she's actually very upset at the idea that um, <laughs> he's like, my mom doesn't love me. <laughs> Essentially, my mom wishes I was never born. <laughs> That's my politics. <laughs> Do you think she ever called her son up like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why are you saying this about me? Don't go around town saying that about me. Men um, will get get told to go in timeout one time and make that their entire <laughs> politics. Like, you know what? I I'm a Nazi I, now. I, you know what? My mom <laughs> wanted me aborted. She said to eat my broccoli. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah, this this quote, this passage, so good. It might explain uh, men's indifference and their opposition. But but we did promise we would get to we would get in women's business. We would get to the women and Mm -hmm. as the anti-abortion movement is made up of many, many women who are really loud, very loud, really, really loud, very public. Um, very public, very Even loud, they, very they embarrassing. They love quoting Paul's letters to the Corinthians, and Paul says <laughs> that women shouldn't take a leadership role. Paul says that women should only preach to other women and not to men. And when and you get up on TV and when you preach, incessantly. you don't know who you're preaching to. So I just feel like, you know, for the fundamentalist Christians that they claim to be, they're not that good at sticking to the fundamentals. They're yeah. not that good at reading. What if a man sees you on TV? Also, okay, I don't want to, like, Perish talk about religion. I don't want to talk about religion too much. But I just have to say, like, first of all, if God, if the Christian God was uh, pro-life, he did a real bad job of it because he did kill his son. Mm-hmm. He was He's, like, fuck he, my kid. He sent his son in the world to be killed. And yeah. then Jesus was on the cross and he was like, dad, damn. Like, do I have to go through this? And God and was, he was like, like, damn, that's crazy. Yes. He was like, yeah, you do. Um, also, abortion is is in the Bible um, multiple times and it is permissible. Um, and it's actually like a uh, religious requirement, not that everyone needs to get an abortion, but the access to abortion is a religious requirement under um, like Judaism. So yeah, very, I'm very not, new like, idea within within the book and within yeah, different sects of Christianity I that know abortion is, is that wrong. That they don't actually care. And so I have no interest in like doing mm-hmm. theology with those people. But like as a person that is like personally like religious it is important to me to know that they are wrong um but i would not Mm -hmm. recommend arguing with evangelical christians they're not interested they're not they they will proudly tell you they have not read the book Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's that they they're not interested in arguing theology with you because they they don't read the book they like being Um, wrong they like being wrong they actually love it um and they love singing singing little songs um Dworkin says uh, that what right-wing women have to say about legal abortion is connected to what they know about sex. Uh, And since their experience with sex is primarily with right-wing men and 
as we already said, you know, right-wing Christianity, um, which declares them to be property of men under divine law. And like, you know, they shouldn't preach to each other. They, they should not, they should only preach to each other and they should not preach to men. And that, yeah, um, they're the property of men. Like, yeah. And because they're, they're only ha- the, the sex that they know is, is only that sex. They know very terrible things. Um, they see abortion as inextricably linked with sec- sexual degradation of women. Um, and also, you know, at worst, they see it as linked with uh, forcible sex. It's why you see uh, so many men, women rather, uh, cruelly saying right now to just teach your daughter not to be a slut and a whore. And then mm-hmm. you won't have to worry about her having an unwanted pregnancy because that's what they were taught themselves. You know, modest is hottest. You know, make sure that you're modestly covered and then no boy will will dare to get near such a godly woman. Right. And if anything happens and you experience consequences from it, it's your fault. It and is pregnancy, your fault. as we've discussed, is a well, consequence of the sex. So the like women that now have to experience hardship from it, like that is something that they occurred upon themselves. Well, by, a lot of them also like, believe not doing what that, they were like, supposed to do. A lot of, especially if you think about like evangelical Christianity, a lot of them believe that like inherently like women were put on this earth to tempt men like the women are like inherently like have like some sin within them um and so like it always has to be the woman's fault because like that's like almost their divine right to be uh sinful and they have to work against that in order to become godly right whereas men are born godly um so you get a lot of that in like right-wing christian circles um and also just like it, it bleeds into um, if they're not evangelical Christian, it still bleeds into right wing um, culture and right wing ideology. Yeah, they also see like the cynical use of abortion by men in their own circles as a way that men absolve themselves of the responsibility uh, of the responsibility of sex. Um, when you think about right wing men and abortions, like mistresses getting paid off is like typically what comes to mind or like people like hushing up like violence that was like done to their teenage daughters you know so Mm -hmm. like their like experience with abortion in their circles is like a tool to absolve men of Mm -hmm. like the responsibility that they owe to women and not women exercising their body autonomy um, and, you know, like, how many men have we seen even in the past few days who are maybe not, like, right-wing men, but are still, like, lamenting the loss of abortion because it's going to mm-hmm. make it harder for them to have sex with women? Like, not, you know, lamenting that it's awful for people to not have choices over what happens to their body um, or that they might be forced to carry a pregnancy to term, even if it kills Nor them. Nor even, like, the political climate that they're living yeah, in currently, where, like, like you are, you're getting, like, feudal city-states. Yeah, you know? they're like, damn, is this gonna, like, make it hard for me to fuck? Like, that's really, that's really sad. Um, and right-wing women see this attitude, and they probably see it more than anybody, like, given the way that right-wing men pick and choose when they think abortion is permissible. Yeah, they're in the trenches. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're deep in it. And they're addicted um, to the trenches. Dworkin says about these women, they are not dazzled by the promise of abortion as choice, um, as sexual self-determination, as woman's control of her own body. Uh, 
because they know that promise is crap. As long as men have power over women, men will not allow abortion or anything else on those terms. Right-wing women see uh, in promiscuity, which legal abortion makes easier, the generalizing of force. They see force in marriage as essentially containable, contained within the marriage, um, uh, limited to one man at a time. They try to handle him. They see the limitation, one man at a time, as a necessary protection from the many men who would do the same. As they see it, legal abortion makes them accessible fucks without consequence to men. In their view, pregnancy is the only consequence of sex that makes men accountable to women for what men do to women. They know that every woman uh, has to make the best deal she can. They face reality and what they see is that women get fucked whether they want to or not. Right-wing women get fucked by fewer men. Abortion in the open takes away pregnancy as a social and sexual control over men. Once a woman can terminate a pregnancy easily and openly without risk of death, she is bereft of her best way of saying no. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I mean, it's it's the saddest life, and it's really true. I mean, then you think about in those circles, like if a mm -hmm. man gets a woman pregnant outside of marriage, his community will usually force him him to Mm -hmm. marry her. Yeah, Um, which like maybe is not actually that great for the woman. But no. it's also going to provide her with like more financial stability because there are now two people in this household, mm-hmm. um, like security, um, you know, and and like there is also this like social context of knowing that that is the consequence of like what happens if you get someone pregnant outside of marriage is right. that like you are going to become responsible to them in some way. And right. so and it like doesn't necessarily prevent these men from like having sex outside of marriage, but it might prevent them from doing that with the women in their circles. They might go find other women um, to like have sex Mm -hmm. with outside of marriage and then like wait until they're ready for marriage to go back to the women in their community. And so in some ways that keeps them safe from like a kind of violence, but like, of Mm -hmm. course there's this ongoing like, dynamic of, of violence that like happens within within their, their homes. Yeah, yeah within their homes but it it really does make sense um like it this point of view doesn't make sense it's wrong yeah but it makes sense that this is a point of view that like people might develop because especially it's... within like a this kind of vacuum sealed culture like even like what, what she talks about what Dworkin talks about with like the idea of like having one man at a time right that that marriage and the sanctity of marriage um, they're under this delusion that it'll protect them from like uh, being uh, accosted by men, like even in the mildest sense, right? Um, that it'll protect them from violence from other men. Even if they face violence from one man in their home, it protects them from the onslaught of violence of like, and, and loneliness and like general um, like damnation almost that comes from being um, a available woman, right? A, a single woman. You, you think about all these women who are who clamor to get married. You think about the culture 
of um, women who go to college to get their MRS degree, right? They're looking for a man who can provide um, and protect, right? They are they are under this delusion that um, that 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 somehow the sanctity of marriage will protect them from the culture of men at large if they can just get one man to protect them from everything. It's really, really devastating and really sad. Um, if you, you know, understanding the opposition and lack of investment in abortion rights and reproductive just justice in general um, from these women and from these men is going to be the first key to organizing, particularly with the women, to get them back. Uh, we do need to build solidarity with men but we can do that um, by getting them to actually care about bodily autonomy. Like that's step one. Um, if it's possible to bring over any right wing women, it would be to require them, require getting them to see that they can better protect themselves from violence by liberation from the systems that require it rather than adhering to all its rules, rather than uh, just marrying a man um, and you know, that pregnancy is the only way to hold men accountable. Um, when it is very, very clear, it will not hold them accountable. Um, yeah, at all, like in any way, think about how many of these like right wing men have mistresses, you know, they're not being held accountable. The only way they're being held accountable in any sense is that they have to pay for the child. Yeah, right? I like men who practice like, like enforcing patriarchy in this very explicit way have tears of women where mm -hmm. it's like these are women that I am allowed to oppress in one way but that they go find other women that they have decided is you know socially permissible for them to oppress in another way and all the women involved are not having a good time but mm -hmm. there are like yeah like it's it's um a very sad reality to resign yourself to and it's sort of the decision that like an animal makes when it's trapped um and i think it is important to understand like where both men and women and like any other people who are like um not actually committed uh to this struggle like where they're coming from and why so that you can like figure out tactics um to either like organize to bring them in or like what you might need to do in in order to organize against them because like at the end of the day not everyone is going to want to come along once we make it's obvious that this is a class struggle that was true in Fred Hampton's time and Andrew Dworkin's time which was the same time um and it's true now like Fred Hampton said this which I thought was I thought it was really good. I think he and I would be friends. Um, he was I a Vir Virgo Mercury, um, just, wow. just so you know. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, and he was he was in the Black Panther Party, so that this quote mm -hmm. makes sense. Um, he says, you know, a lot of people have hangups with the party because the party talks about a class struggle. And the people that have those hangups are opportunists and cowards and individualists and everything that's anything but revolutionary. And they use these things to excuse, to justify, to alibi, and to bonify their lack of participation in the real revolutionary struggle. And I think that that's true. Sometimes people are just chumps. Sometimes you do your best work <laughs> and people are not going to come along 
And I think that you've got to like the bozos, yeah, the um, idiots, the bozos, the opportunists, the cowards. And I think that you've got to like recognize like when um, it is worth your time to like work with someone to try to to bring them along, and when someone is like genuinely an enemy to this movement that you're trying to create. And I, I've got one last Fred Hampton quote um, that I think is like super key to keep in mind like as you organize um and this is about Huey P. Newton he says Huey P. Newton got to reading and he's not like one of us a lot of us read and read but we don't get any practice we have a lot of knowledge in our heads but we've never practiced it and made any mistakes and corrected those mistakes so that we will be able to do something more properly so we come up with like we say more degrees than a thermometer, but we're not able to walk across the street and chew gum at the same time because we've got all that knowledge and it's never been exercised. It's never been practiced. We never tested it with what's really happening. We call testing it with uh, objective reality. You might have any kind of thought in your mind, but you've got to test it with what's out there. You see what I mean? And I think really, like both parts of this are really important that like we do have to read. <laughs> we do need to learn. Which we do um, all the from, time. From previous movements. Maybe you and I do, but we live yeah. in a, a moment of like rampant anti-intellectualism. And mm -hmm. I think that like the thing that strikes me most when I read this essay or this speech um, by Fred Hampton is like how many problems he addresses that are still problems in like almost every organizing circle I've been in. Verbatim. And it's just like... If people had the willingness to like learn from previous moments and then do what he says, where it's like you practice them, make mistakes, correct those mistakes, and then try to do better, like we can improve. And I think that people sometimes like don't realize that we are like one link in a long chain and mm -hmm. that there's a lot of really great work that came before we were even born. And, like, we have an obligation to honor that work by learning from it and doing better rather than, like, having the same fights that people were having in the 60s um, in 2022 on, on Twitter. Like, that is, uh, it's, it's counter-revolutionary um, and it's a waste of everyone's time and it's a good way to, like, make sure that you never get anything done. And, um in the speech, Fred Hampton also says that a lot of people will claim that the oppressor like doesn't want you to do this or that. And the things that he was talking about um, were pretty funny. It was like it was like back in this like movement uh, when there were a lot of black people who started trying to like like black Americans who were like trying to like emulate what they thought African culture was in mm -hmm. order to like kind of posture like I don't know like radicalism or something and and so they were like they don't want you to like learn about uh like eating root vegetables they don't they don't want you to like change your name to be like what you think an African name sounds like well, there's nothing wrong with like doing those things if you want to do them but he was saying if you really want to know like what our oppressive system doesn't want 
look to where they send the cops to attack and that's how you organize like i think right now something i'll hear people say is like they don't want you to get educated like they don't want you to get a passport and travel the world like <laughs> they don't want you to be free and have they fun don't want like you going to bali <laughs> no no genuinely like there's there is this like movement of like black people right now that are like the most revolutionary thing a black person can do is travel um but you know like i think that yeah you gotta gotta look to where um the system is sending the cops to attack right now the cops and the military are being sent to attack protesters who are out in the streets they're picking up people that they think are giving out like now illegal abortions they're arresting people that are building like community networks like in general um cops are certainly not at little voter registration booths so do with that what you will mm-hmm. and i i think really like that's all that we had to share i'm yeah. excited for like the next episode where we're going to get to interview my friend and like find out a little bit more practical information about what they're doing um and i guess maybe maybe i have i've got a quote to close us on it's from Andrea Dworkin, who was already predicting in 1975, two years after abortion became legal, that it was going to become illegal again in the Her United third States. Eye open, as um, always. And she said this When feminists have lost legal abortion altogether, leftist men expect them back, begging for help, properly chastened, ready to make a deal. On the left, Women will have abortion on male terms as part of sexual liberation for men, or women will not have abortion except at risk of death. And I think that that's a good warning to close us on is like, be careful about who we um, align ourselves with right now. And that's not saying uh, create allyships and make deals with. Don't align uh... yourselves with men. Mm-hmm. go ahead and do that it's important to do that if they mm-hmm. are being helpful like but, we said pregnancy takes two people yeah you know um but with like no matter who you are like if someone is is trying to invite themselves like into sharing like an organizing goal with you ask them what their intentions are um for making this goal happen because it might be very different from yours and i think it will be important to suss that out before you do anything else and that's all and that's all that's that's been this episode thank you for listening um we are on need porsches (laughs) hoes need abortions um we're gonna be (laughs) this is this is an addendum to our to our series uh my year of not sucking and fucking where we baby yeah this is episode three was this is an addendum episode that we decided to release again um from beyond the paywall uh early um the rest of it is going to be on patreon um you know unless we have another reason which i'm sure we will um to uh make a more relevant statement uh, on what is happening in the state of the world we can um, do whatever we want fuck we can you. do whatever we want fuck you um but please go go check out our patreon if you want give to see us more five dollars give us five dollars i will call you racist on the internet if you don't give me five dollars by name black people um, need to travel i have not traveled in like a couple months <laughs> give me five dollars um, <laughs> 
Yeah, five dollars. Did you say twenty five? I think that I think twenty five is a good mm-hmm. is a good number. Also, yeah. Um, you know, follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. We're Big Soy Naturals everywhere. Um, send us an email. Um, especially if you read um the things that we have cited. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, it's Big Soy Podcast at gmail dot com. Leave us a review on Apple uh, Podcasts and on Spotify. They have reviews now. If you didn't know. Yeah. Um, also look out in the description for ways that you can um, help out um, with some like abortion funds that we know and trust um, yeah. and vouch for and that are not Planned Parenthood, yeah, we which has enough Yeah, we money. didn't talk about it too much, but um, Planned Parenthood's a very big, very rich organization. We'll get um, to it next episode for sure. Yeah. But, but you don't need to be giving them money. They have they have a lot of money. There's a lot of things- money. And yeah, give, give our friends money. money. <laughs> give our friends money. And give people um, who are creating small mutual aid networks, especially in trigger states, um, money. Uh, and that is the episode. Thank you for coming. Bye. Bye. This is my year of not sucking or fucking. Let me be clear. Yeah, I've been fucking in morning. Cock is one of my favorite tastes. Uh, but in fact, there have been periods of time in our history where a president inspired the American people to kill innocent people. And I think we're in one of those moments right now. Not only that, the ball smell amazing. This is a certified Big Soy Naturals classic.